Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You ever have one of those what you would just call that kind of morning? You picked a good day to be here today because I've been awake since 1.30 and there is no telling what I'm going to say this morning. I was in my office and, and finishing, you know, looking back over what I was going to share with you this morning and my mind is all over the place this morning. So this ought to be fun. The good news is when you're up at 1.30, at least this morning, it gave me a lot of time to pray for our services and all that, and also to watch the Cowboys beat the Redskins again. <laughs> that was on uh, the NFL Network about 3 o'clock. But uh, anyway, you know when we were told growing up that if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all? I'm not doing that this morning. Um, I'm just going to bear my soul to you right up front this morning. You can see the message title. Um, and I shared with you last week kind of what we're talking about. Um, but he, he, here's what I have to say. I don't like some Christians at Christmas. Maybe it would be better for me to say it this way. I don't like how some Christians act during Christmas. Specifically, I don't like it when Christians feel it necessary to criticize and put down people who don't observe Christmas exactly the same way that they do. I think that there are some Christians who, who so firmly believe that their way of celebrating Christmas is the only right way that they'd be willing to take their manger scene and beat everyone who thinks differently into submission until they conform to their way of celebrating. A few years back, a prominent Dallas church launched a website. It was www.grinchalert.com. It's not there anymore. I went and looked. Um, but this is what it was designed to do. If Christians in downtown Dallas saw a retailer that used Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas in their store, they could report it to the website. The website would put that retailer on the naughty list so that Christians would know which stores not to shop at. Because that's how Jesus would do it. <laughs> a friend of mine um, this week posted a picture of a billboard on... Uh, Facebook. It was a manger scene. And big manger scene on half the billboard. And on the other half of the billboard, it said this. Just skip church. It's all fake news. Happy holidays from Atheists for America. Now, look, it makes perfect sense for non-Christians to believe differently about Christmas than Christians do. But even many Christians can't agree on whether or not Christmas should be observed. And if it should, how should it be carried out? Now, some Christians don't believe that Christmas should be celebrated at all. Others think that it's okay as long as you only draw from the spiritual aspect. You only focus on the birth of Christ, which means, of course, no trees, no lights, no sand, none of that stuff. 
And other Christians observe Christmas in every way. Jesus, manger, Santa, reindeer, tree, and I'm glad that this is past my time, but elf on a shelf. (laughs) Glad that that came along after we, you know, uh, did, did our kids. So those of you that do that, kudos to you. Um, but, but here's the deal. Some, some of you here this morning, I would, I would venture that some of you, you're even a little bit uncomfortable this morning that, that we're going to talk about this subject about how or whether we should celebrate Christmas in church. Some of you, you're like, really? Some Christians don't think that you ought to celebrate Christmas. And yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, many of you here, you've got very strong feelings about how you observe Christmas or how you don't observe, and and that's fine. See, this morning, though, I I hope to open your eyes on a few subjects, a few thoughts on this subject, um, this may cause some of you to change your mind in some areas. Because that's what truth does for truth seekers. But my main goal today, quite honestly, isn't to change people's minds. See, the number one thing I'd love to see happen today is to change people's attitudes. So here's the big question. Should Christians celebrate the holiday we call Christmas? And I gave it away last week when I said that the answer is no. But before you get uptight, you need to realize that the word should implies an obligation. We are not obligated to celebrate a Christmas holiday. But as Christians, we can if we choose. Now, As I said, some Christians uh, believe that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, that it's actually a sin to do so. Um, And and while they have uh, a long list of reasons as to why they believe the way they do, I believe that that those things can be, their arguments can be pared down to three basic arguments. But the logic used to apply the truths is questionable. And so my what I'd like to see happen today is, is for me to offer some spiritual insight into what I'll simply call Christmas legalism and bring to the forefront again the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. So this morning I want to share with you three main arguments as to why Christians should not celebrate Christmas, and then I'll give the response to each one. The first argument is this. There is no biblical command to celebrate Christmas. Charles Spurgeon is probably the foremost pastor and theologian of, of what we might say modern Christianity. He, was in the, he lived in the 1800s, and here's what he said. He said, we find no scriptural warrant whatsoever for observing any day as the birthday of the Savior, and consequently, its observance is a superstition because it's not of divine authority. Now, the truth is, Spurgeon is right about the biblical facts. We are not given any specific scriptural instruction to observe any day as the birth of Christ. But with all due respect to Charles Spurgeon, he's just flat wrong in the application. To classify it as a superstition because there is no command with the insinuation in that we shouldn't celebrate is faulty. So, so then what is the response to that? And here's our response. While we don't have a biblical command, we do have biblical precedent. Now, I told you to go to Luke chapter 2, but I want to read to you first from Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to read two verses. The Bible says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. 
About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. If you'll allow me, I'll, I'll simply maybe say it this way. We've come to celebrate his birth. The birth of Christ was 4,000 years in the making. It signaled the beginning of a new age in this world. And the response of the wise men was to celebrate this birth with their efforts, with their worship, and with gifts. Now, the birth of Christ also is recorded in Luke chapter 2. You're looking there. So let's, let's uh, look, begin. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, our scriptures are given to us uh, to, to use and to read in, in private study, in, in private devotion, and also in corporate worship. And when we read the story of Christ's birth, we are in effect celebrating his birth. I believe that it is right and good and well-pleasing to God when we do so. So we read verses 1 through 7, and as the story goes on, um, in verse 13, the angels have uh, the angels of heaven gathered together and they praise God. And here's what they praised in verse 14. It says, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The shepherds, after going to see Jesus in verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Simeon and Anna also praised God, celebrating the occasion of Christ's birth. Listen, it's never wrong to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And even though the birth of Christ was celebrated in the Bible, some still believe that we shouldn't because we have no biblical command to do so. And this mindset has led some to rid their churches of things such as musical instruments, crosses, and the like. But this stands in opposition to the freedom we have in Christ to worship. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get tied up again in, in rules and, and standards that don't apply any longer. When it comes to doctrine, we do only what the Bible says. But when it comes to practice or methods, we are given freedom to do as we see fit, as long as that's not forbidden in Scripture. So here's a better question to ask. Does annually celebrating the birth of Christ contradict any doctrinal teaching, or is it forbidden anywhere in the Scripture? And the answer to that question is no. Our liberty in Christ allows us to celebrate Christmas or not to celebrate Christmas. 
And while there is no biblical command, there is biblical precedence. And that means it's simply a matter of individual preference and conscience. The second argument is this. Early Christians did not observe Christmas. And this may be true. We, we honestly don't know if it is or it isn't. Um, the first recorded Christmas celebration didn't, didn't occur until the 4th century. And so those who use this argument that, that early Christians didn't observe Christmas, the reason they use it is, or how they use it is, is they say that um, Christianity in the church stayed pure and undefiled from the time of Christ for that first 300 years. And during that period, it didn't celebrate Christmas. It's kind of like a, this happens, so this must be the result, which is something that can honestly can never be proven. It's just a, well, this happened and this happened, so maybe they're related. And, and it goes on, that, that, that argument goes on that, that when the church became, again, in their minds, when the church became impure and carnal through the, the blending or the marriage of church and state through Roman Catholicism in 313, that Christianity's carnality brought with it the Christmas celebration. But this whole premise is incorrect. While we would love to think that there was this long time period from the, from the death and resurrection of Christ that the church was pure and undefiled, there's a problem with that. And that is the church is filled with people. And people are impure and defiled. And we are worldly and we are carnal. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world. What he's saying is, is you're worldly, not spiritual. There was sin and there was false doctrine present even in the early church. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian Christians in 55 A.D. That's not very far from the resurrection of Christ, right? So it's a bad argument to make. But just because Christmas didn't begin to be observed until the 4th century doesn't mean that Christ's birth wasn't celebrated. It just means that the term Christmas wasn't coined until that time. And much of the Christmas... Christmas traditions that we know weren't put into effect until that time. Christians then, as now, were free to celebrate Christmas or not to celebrate Christmas. For all we know, they did celebrate the birth of Christ. They just didn't call it Christmas. The second argument is that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because the other church didn't. So what is our response? Well, our response is actually, you know following up a question with another question. And so here's what the response is, is. Are we willing to be consistent in this and follow all of the practices of the early church? Because if that's the argument you're going to make, that the early church didn't do it, so we shouldn't do it now, then we've got to be consistent with that across the board, right? Does that make sense? The early church didn't meet in air-conditioned or heated buildings. So are we going to be consistent in that and follow up with that? Most Christians in the early church didn't have their own copies of the Bible. 
So we're going to ask everybody to turn your Bibles in so that, so that I'm the only one that has one, then you, you just get what you get in a service. In their church services, after a time of prayer, everyone greeted each other with a kiss. Are we going to pucker up for everybody every week? Look, you guys that have been here a long time, you know I keep chapstick with me everywhere I go. I have a pocket in my pajamas. Uh, Can you imagine how bad my lips would be after church, you know, with this many people? Are are we going to be consistent in all the practices of the early church? Because that's how far you have to go if you're going to make that your decision-making practice. You see, most of the practices of the early church were matters of practicality and culture. And we are not legalistically bound to copying the practices of a different time and a different culture. And we're not limited to following what may be perceived about their observance of Christmas either. Argument number three. All of the basic elements of Christmas have pagan origins. Now this, ladies and gentlemen, this is the silver bullet. Right? This is the wooden stake to the heart right here. I mean, this is the argument to top all arguments. If you want to have some fun sometime this week or this afternoon, just go Google search, should a Christian celebrate Christmas? Or something like, is Christmas pagan? And you're going to find page after page after page uh, of websites telling you that you are deceived and uh, ignorant And all of that, if you celebrate Christmas in any way, shape, or form, because of this argument right here. You see, the truth is, the origin of Christmas is pagan. Let me give you a little history. During the month of December, Rome celebrated a festival known as Saturnalia, signifying the end of the harvest and so this festival honored the, the gods, uh, the, the, uh, Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture. And it was the most popular festival of the year. And to give you an idea of its atmosphere, think Mardi Gras on steroids. Um, it was, and I quote, a topsy-turvy holiday of feasting, drinking, singing in the streets naked, clapping hands, gambling in public, and making noise. Mardi Gras. Um, And Saturnalia was observed during the winter solstice. Now, winter solstice is almost always on December the 22nd. It's actually on December 21st this year. Um, But in the Julian calendar, Julius Caesar proclaimed the winter solstice on December the 25th. And during this time of Saturnalia and winter solstice, they they had things that, that went with it. Evergreen trees which represented immortality and fertility and reproduction. Round evergreen wreaths, which represented or symbolized the sun and and what its benefit to the harvest would be. Holly and mistletoe was used to invoke powers of fertility if it was kissed under. Gift-giving was a part of Saturnalia. And candles burning, signifying the return, the returning light after Solstice. I want you to go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. So I've shared with you some of the, some of the 
things that kind of went along with Saturnalia. And you can see the similarity between the pagan celebration to the god Saturn and our Christmas. Many of those things are things that we still use. Many, if not most of our Christmas celebration customs come straight from pagan origins. The question is, is does that make them wrong? And the websites that I'm sending you to are going to tell you absolutely. But if that is the standard that we're going to have to go with, we have to, again, we need to be willing to be consistent. If using something that was sinful to celebrate Jesus is wrong, then Christianity has been pagan for years. And I'm going to bring up two of the sacred cows right here. Because we've been singing our hymns, which were originally barroom melodies. We've been singing those hymns accompanied by the piano, which was the original saloon instrument used to accompany the dancing saloon prostitutes. Those that use this argument for not celebrating Christmas sing hymns accompanied by piano. Just say it. Just want you to be clear. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is teaching about um, food that in the past was wrong for God's people to eat, that only the pagans ate. And then he says this in verse 14. He says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it's wrong. These verses show us that where at one time food was clean or unclean for God's people, now the food isn't clean or unclean. doesn't matter whether only pagans eat it or not, that, that all things are made clean by God. So we get to decide for ourselves is basically what Paul is saying here. He's saying things in and of themselves are not wrong. It's what you do with them that determines their value. The specific topic here is food, but there's a principle that goes beyond that. Go, go to uh, verse 5. He says this, In the same way, some think that one day is more holy, he's talking about holy days, that one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And, I, and, the, and he's kind of continuing with the context of, of the food thing. So, so the Bible here specifically says that holidays are neither holy nor unholy in and of themselves. It's what we do with them that determines their value. You say, well, wait, it doesn't say anything about holidays. Sure it does. It's just we, we forget that the word holidays came from holy days. It's specifically talking about holidays here. And he's saying that holidays aren't holy or unholy in and of themselves. They're not defiled, pagan, in and of themselves. It's what is done with them, and and what is done, the action, is what is determined as clean or unclean. So while it's true that the basic elements of Christmas have pagan origins, our response is this. Things that were pagan in the past can be redeemed and turned into something good. 
um, just for fun. And I know, because like when I go to, to some seminar or something in a big deal like this and someone asks to raise their hands, I never do. I get it. Some of you, you just, you're like me. You're just not going to raise your hand. So I understand if you don't. But would you do me a favor? If you have no clue, now this is not going to mean that you're ignorant or anything. This is just a, this is a thing of time, right? If you have no clue what S&H green stamps are, would you raise your hand? I'm just curious. Okay, okay the balcony. <laughs> so now we know who sits in the balcony. All right, thank you. Um, for all the rest of you, you know what S&H green stamps are. For, for those of you that don't, um, back when I was a kid, stores would offer S&H green stamps with your purchases. And you would get these little books. And so depending on how much money you spent determined how many green stamps you got. And you would, you would take your green stamps and you'd go home and you'd lick them and stick them in your book. And when you filled so many books, you could take them to the S&H green stamp store and you could what? Redeem those stamps for the good stuff. See, that's what redeem is. Redeem is taking the worthless and getting the good stuff. Things that were pagan in the past can be redeemed and used for the good stuff. You see, that's what Christians did with those old barroom melodies. They redeemed them with uh, when, when the tunes were used but given words that worshipped God. And the piano was redeemed from its early use in the bar to accompany the singing of worship to God. Likewise, it doesn't matter if aspects of a Christmas celebration have pagan origins. They have been redeemed for the purpose of remembering Christ's birth. Now, look, I know how funny some Christians can be. I mean, once Some Christians, once you get something in your mind, it's like, I don't care what anybody else says. I just, I believe this. And I believe that if something was pagan, it, it's always pagan. Um, I just can't accept that if something that was once defiled and clearly used as a tool of Satan can be redeemed and used to worship God. Well, I want you to know I have a real problem with that. My problem is both personal and doctrinal. Because you see... I was once defiled and a tool of Satan. But I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am now acceptable to God to worship and celebrate him, his son, and his son's birth. And if you've been saved, the same is true of you too. And can I just go ahead and say it? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ who was defiled and a tool of Satan but has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and you say that something that was once defiled and tool of Satan can't be redeemed, you're a hypocrite. It's so easy to take these high-minded and lofty things that we hear and read from other people and not think them through a little bit. But see, the good news is this. There is nothing, there is nothing thing i don't care how bad how evil how impure how pagan that cannot be redeemed by the blood of jesus christ and by the liberty that we are given in christ through god's grace that cannot be used for good 
just because we celebrate Christ's birth in a way that in the past had pagan overtures does not make it wrong. If it did, and again, we could just carry out the, the logical competence. If, if it did, that it means you could never give anybody a gift because gift giving was a part of Saturnalia. You could not have evergreen shrubs at your house or in your church. You could not kiss your spouse under the mistletoe because of the superstition of invoking the powers of the fertility gods. We've got to be careful to guard against legalistic lunacy because we have freedom in Christ Jesus. So here's the bottom line. We are given no command that we should celebrate Christmas. And we are given no command that forbids us from celebrating Christmas. As a result, we are free to make that decision on our own. It is a holiday that is neither moral nor immoral. It's what we do with it that determines its value. And as I said at the beginning, my main goal isn't necessarily to change anyone's mind, although the truth does do that, but I just want to change attitudes today. You can believe and practice Christmas however you want, but don't feel the need to go and try and bash others with your manger scene for them to believe like you do just because you think your way is more spiritual. That's legalism. And you know, I can't think of anything worse to add to the birth of Jesus Christ than legalism. So whether you decide to observe the Christmas holiday or not, the important thing is that in your life, Christ is celebrated. They say that Jesus is the reason for the season. But you know what? Isn't he the reason for every season? This isn't a once a year thing. We celebrate him every day, every week, every month, all year long. And that's my challenge to you today. Maybe you, maybe you learned something today. Maybe you didn't. But when you walk out the doors today, would you just do this? Would you just have the right attitude? Just have the right attitude at Christmas. Be Christ-like at Christmas. And you're going to come across people that are, that are different from you. And anyway, that's okay. If they're, if they're unbelievers, why would we be surprised? if they celebrate Christmas differently than we do. So let's just have a godly, Christ-like attitude. Yeah, I know today's message is not like a normal message. Um, it very much is just a, hey, let's just sit and talk type of a thing, right? Um, but sometimes we can get so caught up in wanting to make sure that we're right that we don't have the right attitude. I just want to encourage you today to have the right attitude at Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. And I simply give you this, this opportunity to just, just to check your own heart. To just ask God, God, is my heart, is my attitude right on this whole thing? Am I one that has 
has looked for opportunities to, to use different practices of Christmas to attack people or talk down to people or argue with people? And if so, just, just confess it. It's an attitude thing. And ask God to help you to represent Christ. And that whether you are a full-on from, from manger to Rudolph celebrator to a non-celebrator at all, You just do what you feel like you can defend from Scripture. And you let other people do the same. So would you take a moment and just talk to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we just honor you today. We celebrate the birth of your Son. We thank you, Lord, that you take things that were defiled and unclean and you redeem them through Christ's death on the cross. Father, I pray that you would teach us from Scripture today. That often one of the things that gets in the way most of people coming to know Christ as their Savior is often the attitudes of Christians. Lord, we're going to be given a lot of opportunities over these next few weeks to get irritated and aggravated. And I just pray that we will not allow ourselves to get sucked into that dirty world. But that no matter what happens, we will celebrate the birth of our Savior in our own life every day. And as we do that, Father, pray that it would shape us and mold us and it would cause the light of Jesus to shine out through us. To a world that is desperate to know Jesus. And I ask all this in your name. Amen.